We are in the condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network, the world for people who think... Hi, and welcome to Shot Talk Radio. Uh, I'm Joe Quinn, and with me this week, as usual, is Neil Bradley. Hello, everyone. Uh, this week, we're talking once again to Canadian author, artist, and martial arts expert, Stefan Verstappen. Uh, Stefan has a professional background in communications and business management and has traveled extensively throughout East Asia, where he has studied Oriental art, culture, and Kung Fu. Stefan is the author of The Art of Urban Survival, from which the viral YouTube video documentary, Defense Against the Psychopath, was taken. Now, uh, alert listeners to our show will know that uh, we interviewed Stefan a couple of times already uh, about his video uh, on historical sites, where he makes the case that we are currently in the final stage of our cycle of history, which is defined like all previous ones by increasing chaos and that the only people who survived previous episodes of planetary chaos were small groups of people that formed themselves into tight-knit communities with specific organizational structures. Uh, so that, that was what we spoke about uh, the last time we spoke to Stefan. Uh, but Stefan has recently produced several more videos that deal more specifically with the nature and cause of the current state of, of the planetary chaos that is ongoing. Uh, all of the videos are called... Uh, are partly called Paradise Stolen, but each one deals with a specific topic. Um, there's, the, there's the original one, Paradise Stolen, then there's the myth, of ben- the myth of efficiency, the myth of overpopulation, and the myth of terrorism. So before I go on any further, uh, Stefan, welcome to the show. It's always uh, great to talk to you. Oh, thanks for having me back on, guys. I, I love talking to you guys. It's, it's so good to talk to people that are, you know, intelligence and get it. You know? Yeah, exactly. There's, Few and far between these days, you know. Likewise, yeah. Stefan. Likewise, yeah. No, thanks for having me on, guys. I, I really appreciate it. So, Stefan, the um, I mean, we had you on before. We talked about the um, historical cycle thing. That's I mean, it's something we've spoken about and written about ourselves uh, over the years. But um, I, I found these new videos that you started producing over the past uh, few months. Um, there were a logical follow-on from that uh, historical cycle because it put uh, that idea puts it in a, in a broad context. But this, uh, these new videos that you've just mentioned, um, they talk about uh, what's going on for us now in this kind of age of chaos that we find ourselves in, and they're very short, uh, but very you know impactful and to the point. Really, they're they're excellent, especially like for the average person these days. Uh, they don't have a very long attention span, so it's really good the way you put such a lot of information. Uh, into uh, these small videos, but is that, I mean, I'm on the right track that that's why you did these videos, you wanted to kind of give a, a more specific or up-to-date example of, uh, you know, what's going on, why we are in uh, a kind of age of chaos? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, the, the first video um, that really sort of made a, a bit of a splash was uh, Defense Against a Psychopath, and that's, you know, 38 minutes, and 
Right. Um, you know, for such a long documentary, uh, you know, it's been quite successful. But, you know, these days, you know, I find myself, I'm busy all the time anyways as well. I'm constantly busy. Everybody I know is working, 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 scrambling, scrambling, how to make more money, how to pay these bills. And, you know, nobody has time to really, you know, go very deep into a subject. I mean, time is now a luxury that few people can afford. And um, so what I wanted to do was, I, you know, I, I originally thought of just, you know, writing an article, but again, uh, myself included, I'd rather listen to something while I can do something else, you know, rather than read through a lengthy article because I just don't have the time. Right. And I know a lot of people out there just that we don't have the time anymore because this is what, what happens at the end of the cycle where, you know, uh, we're being taxed to death, we're being charged to death, uh, you know, the unemployment and the underemployment and the the inflation, you know, Never mind how much the government lies about the inflation. I know with my own eyes. I go to the grocery store every day, and oh my God, it's like every single day the prices go up. So don't tell me we have two percent inflation. That's complete nonsense. We are, you know, are having our lives stolen from us, and the result of that is that we don't have a life anymore. Um, you know, most people I know and. Most of my friends are like that. It's like that song, um, Running on Empty. You know, uh-huh. I look around, I see my friends, they're running on empty too. You know, everybody is struggling. Everybody's worried about how to pay the bills and, and, and you know, they're worried about their jobs and they're worried about the income. It, it's, it's so sad and it, it's completely the fault of the government that we are all, you know, subject to. So, right, yeah. I, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I was just going to add though that what you seem to be describing is that uh, people are just stressed out to the max, which makes it uh, unlikely, I suppose, for someone who's stressed out by daily life and work, etc., that they're going to go and, uh, you know, like you said, read an article that might stress them out even more. You know, most people just want to chill out and be stressed, really. Yeah, that's right. You know, and I don't blame them. You know, I want to de-stress too. I, I, I've been meaning to rent a movie now for months. You know, just sit back and watch a movie. For a couple hours, but I can't bring myself to do it. I need those two hours. Mm-hmm. You know? yeah. I, I, I need to do another article. I need to do another video. I need to, you know, send out some more emails. I don't have those two hours to sit back and watch a movie, even though, you know, I kind of want to. You know, mm-hmm. I want to see that the last Lord of the Rings movie. There, I've been sort of saving to rent that one. I'm really in a good space, you know. Yeah. But who's got the time? I don't, you know. Um, so. I decided then that I wanted to make very short and to-the-point videos. But to-the-point is the videos are anti-war. This is all about war, probably the most horrendous activity a civilization engages in. And and when we look around us, um, there's no end to it. And each and every one of those wars and each and every war for the last hundred years or probably more, but I can only speak for the last hundred years, has been for nothing, for absolutely nothing. They were all based on lies, starting with World War One, all the way through World War Two and Vietnam, and, and now, you know, then we had Desert Storm, and now we have Syria and ISIS, and oh, Jesus, Murphy, you know. It's insanity. For crying out loud, people, we all need to understand one thing. This has to stop. This is the, you know, the major cause of all the suffering. So, you know, I want to bring it, I thought of trying to bring it home to where we live because 
it's too objective to say, well, listen, you know, we've killed two million innocent Iraqis. Nobody knows an Iraqi, you know. <laughs> we, we don't know those people. It doesn't mean anything to us. So I thought, how can I bring that home? Well, not only <clears throat> did this war kill two million Iraqis, it also destroyed your life. You just don't know it. The reason why we're all suffering like this right now and the poverty and the stress is because of the wars. It has stolen from you paradise. And that's why the videos are called Paradise Stolen because for the money that was spent on war in the last 10 years, if we had put that money into decent humanitarian works and projects... And again, I'm not even saying the government should spend this money. As a matter of fact, I don't think the government should be in our lives at all. I, I don't have any use for any kind of government because one thing we can always know for a certainty about government, and that is they can never do anything right. There is nothing that the government can't screw up and make worse. They have never done anything good since the beginning of history. But if we are going to say, well, we, we must have a government, and they must steal $6 trillion from us. Okay, fine. So what do we spend that $6 trillion on? Blowing up people, murder, death, destruction, mayhem, poisoning the land with de depleted uranium, making sure that country can't be in inhabited for the next, you know, two and a half million years. Or do we spend it on building homes, building businesses, uh, creating self-sustainable communities. I mean, this is what has been taken from us, and that's why I call it Paradise Stolen. Yeah, it's a very a very apt title. Um, it just uh, yeah, it boggles my mind. It's a very hard idea to get the, your our heads around, you know, I mean, why things are the way they are. And I think it's because any ideas of, of a different way of living, as you describe in your videos, um, has has been removed from the equation. It's it's just been taken out of the narrative. It's not presented to people. It's not talked about. The system as it is today is lauded as the only system. Also, as you say in your in your videos, and um, and, and that's why I suppose a lot of people don't even conceive uh, or aren't able to conceive of uh, of anything different. Yeah, um, you know, a, a lot of people have commented and said, oh, you know, that's, those are great ideas, Stefan, and it's, it's, you're a wonderful thinker. Well, you know, I can't take credit for those ideas. I, to me, those those ideas, you know, about self-sufficiency and, and, and uh, you know, not uh, sending lumber to China to have them mm -hmm. ship back to us, I mean, to me, that's self-evident, but... Lo and behold, you know, what's self-evident to me is a mystery to most other people. So, you know, for, uh, I don't think I'm being, you know, revolutionary or, or particularly clever with the videos because uh, I think this is, you know, pretty obvious that our system isn't really working very well. I think everybody gets that, but, you know, I'm wrong. Everybody doesn't get that. They do think that this is the best we can do, that this is the only thing that will work. Um, no other possibilities are, are, are available. And um, therefore, you know, everybody has to work 80 hours a week because, well, that's the way things are. It can't be any better than that. You know, wow. Uh, 
But all of that is based on lies and propaganda and, you know, um, who, who to blame? Well, the usual suspects, um, government, education, media, newspapers, books, um, you know, the, the public discourse. They're to blame because you don't hear any other possibilities um, of how to run our lives and how to run our societies. We don't get alternatives. We really don't, except for a few people who, you know, really make an effort to uh, uh, look into things. And But, you know, that's a small percentage. So, I, you know, I tried to make the video short and to the point. And, you know, for those of us that are, you know, what can I say, in the truth movement, in the activist movement, um, however you want to describe it, those of us who are awake to some degree. Those of, um, the, those of us in the do something for God's sake movement. <laughs> exactly. Thank you. Very well. Put. Do something for Christ's sakes. You know, those of us in the do something movement, you know, we, we come out with articles and, and, and uh, with videos and we talk to people, but, you know, we always seem to be preaching to the choir because that's, you know, only people that listen to us, you know, uh, you have me on your show, but uh, I'm never going to be invited on CBC radio. You know? So um, I'm hoping that these videos will try to, you know, cross over a little bit and, and reach people that uh, are not in the movement. And uh, by being short and to the point and approaching it from a different angle, you know, I'm trying to appeal to people's self-interest. Look, you know, this is what they took from you. This is what they took from your kids and, and your grandchildren. This is your future that was taken from you. It was stolen from you right under your nose. So, you know, one thing we have to agree upon, first and foremost, is no more money for war, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. You, uh, I mean, in your very first video on this called Paradise Stolen, you talk about... Um the possibility of, of communities, of small communities being, uh, well, you refer to the fact that th there were such communities way back, uh, way back when. Well, better than that, he actually takes the viewer or listener into one of those an actual functioning modern community. Yeah. What What is that community that you cite in the? Maybe in we the, shouldn't. In that first maybe we shouldn't like ask them to? to name it though, so they keep secret. <laughs> Well, you know, I've been telling people, and I've, I've posted it on the comments section where it is. It's a, it's a Toronto Center Island. Um, it's you know, it's half a mile from the financial district of Toronto, with you know, hundred-story uh, financial buildings. You know, it's but nobody here knows about it. I've shown the video to a lot of t people that were born and raised in Toronto, and they have no idea what I'm talking about or where it is. You know, that, that's always been my own sort of thing that I do. I, I've lived all over the world, but what I really enjoy doing is exploring. I'm still, you know, the, the eight-year-old kid that went into the forest for the first time and was mm -hmm. just amazed by exploring places I've never been. So uh, I explore usually by bicycle. When I was in Taiwan, I explored by motorcycle. And everywhere I've lived, I've been able to find, like, these small communities, little havens, little areas. There's... You know, when I was in Taipei, I, I found this little long abandoned temple up in a bamboo forest on the side of a mountain that nobody knows about. Nobody ever went there. I would go there and I'd practice my Kung Fu. And it was like uh, a scene from one of those martial arts movies, you know, where I'm up among the bamboo. It's like Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, uh, you know, mm -hmm. the movie where the bamboo forest and there's this old um, Taoist temple. And it's all mine. 
I'm there all by myself. I've never seen another person up there. I would sit on, in, in, in the temple and I'd have my lunch and then I would do my martial arts and contemplate life. And then I'd look out over the mountain and below me was the city of Taipei, you know, this glittering jewel hidden among the valley. You know, so there's places like that all over the world. I found them when I lived in California, in Europe. And so this is a very small community. It's only like the equivalent of four, maybe six square city blocks. That's it, you know. But when you find it, wow, it's beautiful, you know. There's no strangers there. It's all just the people that live there. And, and um, you know, they are pretty much self-sufficient. They get along by bicycle. There's no cars. It's the largest urban car-free area in the world, you know. Mm. Uh, and, wow, there's no police. There's no roadblocks. There's no police checkpoints. Uh, you know, mm. it's just... And and what is there? People running around murdering each other? Of course not. You see, we're given this illusion, and you know, I have a problem with, for example, all these end of the world movies and these zombie movies. That you know, if there's no police around, everybody will immediately take to murdering each other. Mm. And you know, you get that a lot. Uh, you know, I'm a, a survivalist and a prepper. And, uh, you know, in the prepper community, everybody's always, you know, what's the best kind of ammunition to stop looters? <laughs> you, know? Yeah. Um, you know, and, and how many machine guns is too many? And, uh, you know, yes, I think everybody should have a hunting rifle. Absolutely. Probably a hunting rifle and a shotgun and you're good to go. But as far as, you know, automatic rifles and handguns and things like that in order to kill other people, I really don't think that. I think people don't murder each other they're not just itching to tear each other to pieces the minute there's no cops available. Uh, listen, looking now at what's going on in Baltimore, I don't know, you know, um, how much of that is agent provocateurs, how much of that is the indoctrination of the culture, um, you know, with the people rioting and, and looting, you know, it, but that's insanity. We're an insane society, an insane society that is the product of the psychopaths that control the instruments of communication, the schools, the media, <coughs> and the government. But here's a small community. Everybody knows each other. There's no policemen around. And yet, what? No murders. No murder rate. No break and enter. No robberies. No drug addictions that you can see. Of. There's no homeless people sitting in the streets there. I'm surprised there's no homeless people. I, I thought they would all go over there because uh, there's lots of places for them to camp out. But nothing, you know. Mm. So why can't we have this everywhere? What? It's too expensive? No, it's not too expensive. It's cheaper than building, you know, 60-story condominium complexes. Um, well, is it... You know, it's not efficient enough. No, it's way more efficient than having people commute an hour and a half from the suburbs to go to work in the city and then commute from an hour and a half in the city to go and work in the suburbs. And you, you take a look at the highway, you know, any time of the day or night in the city of Toronto, and it's a parking lot. And yet there's a law that if you let your car idle for 10 minutes to warm it up in the wintertime, you can receive a ticket. Are you kidding me? You know, that's like somebody, you know, that, that's lost an arm and you're saying, well, here, let's put some solve on that and that'll make it better, you know. Mm -hmm. Some people idling their car for 10 minutes has nothing to do with the fact that there are, you know, 8 million cars stuck on a highway for 24 hours, 7 days a week. You know, it, but that's efficient. But, you know, a small community where 
you know, people share some public transportation and for the rest of the time they get by by walking or bicycling. Oh, no, we can't do that. That's too expensive. That's inefficient. You know, this is how we've been trained to think that this madness, this monstrous machine of a society that we've built that whose only purpose is to suck the lifeblood out of all the working people in it. That's the way it should be, you know, and, 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 and to return to a kind of a community where, you know, listen, the houses are humble that are in this community. They're actually cottages, you know. Mm. They were built over 100 years ago, and they were meant as a kind of a cottage community for the city of Toronto way back then. Um, they've expanded a little bit on it, but mostly they're, you know, about 1,500, 2,000 square foot homes. Um, it's enough room for me. You know, yeah. I'd be happy with it. It's got front yard. It's got a backyard. It's got, you know, I walk three minutes and I've got a park and a lake. Oh, what more do I need? Do I need a big cookie cutter house? You know, you go to the suburbs and they're 6,000 square foot houses and they're, you know, they've got two feet of space between the side of one house and the beginning of the next house. But wow, they got 6,000 square feet and filled with furniture. You know, I've been in those houses. I, I know what they're like. They're useless. What? Most of the rooms, nobody ever even walks through in a day, you know? Mm. So, you know, maybe it's a humble home um, that's the, portrayed in the video, but more than I have now, uh, I'm, I'm in a 1,200-square-foot little apartment, you know, and, and these people that spend, oh, my God, uh, you know, I work weekends in, in one of the condominiums doing uh, security um, just to bring in a little extra money, and uh, I can tell you, my God, that I'm writing an article called The uh, Gulag Condominium, <laughs> you know, it's... <laughs> It's insanity. They paid a half million dollars for a 1,500 square foot concrete box, 4,000 square feet above the ground, you know, 4,000 feet above the ground. Mm. Uh, and, and they are monitored and watched and regulated 24-7. Uh, it's madness. It's like a, it's like a, 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 a Soviet gulag, for crying out loud, the way these places are run. And they pay for that. There's not... Two feet of green space within a mile of any of these places, you know, but this is efficient. This is effective. Uh, you know, it, I, I don't know what to say, guys. Yeah. You know, it, it's just so crazy. Uh, but so I, what I'm trying to do is inject, look, <laughs> um, there's other ways of doing this and ways that would make your life a lot healthier and a lot more productive. And you'd be happier. The most important thing is happiness, right? You know, what, we're born on this planet? We, we're given a short life in order to work ourselves to death so we can pay the bank and pay the credit card and pay the taxes. And then we drop dead from some horrible disease. Oh, yeah, that's, that's the purpose of life. No, the purpose of life is to enjoy and experience this amazing gift that we're given. Anyways, you know, I get all preachy. Yeah, no, to testify, you know. I mean, <clears throat> it has to be said because it really is just, it's appalling, the, the, the state of what people call, you know, life and living these days. Uh, and you are doing a very good job of trying to, uh, to point out the obvious alternatives that everybody has forgotten. But, I mean, in terms of efficiency or inefficiency of the current system, I suppose it depends on uh, where you're coming from. I mean, if you're coming from the point of view of the the controllers or the, the you know the elite of this world, well, then it's uh, it's it's inefficient from their perspective for people to have a lot of you know free time and to be kind of happy and open-minded because 
in that in those situations they don't work 80 hours a week you know and they don't uh, work for the man and produce produce fast profits for corporations etc so yeah from that perspective it's inefficient uh, but from the ordinary human being having to having to experience that uh, it's not only inefficient it's it's inhuman yeah it's inhuman you know uh, they're stealing your life from you, you know, your, your, your existence, your soul. That's what you're stealing, you know. How can you develop a soul if, if you can't enjoy and love and, and, and feel free? And, you know, how can you develop a spirit or a soul under those conditions? You know, you're, you're born and raised in prison, you know, um, right. who develops a soul under those conditions? I mean, you develop a hardness, fine, and, and some people, because, well, you know, if we assume Gurdjieff's uh, theory that friction will help to create a soul, but remember, friction must be conscious suffering. Right. Being born into a slave system is no one's conscious choice. So I don't believe that that kind of suffering is going to contribute to a soul. No. Uh, yeah. So, uh, especially when they prevent people from understanding. Uh, I mean, the, you mentioned the ideas of Gurdjieff and, and suffering for growing a soul and stuff. But like you said, it's conscious suffering. But that idea is is nowhere. I mean, no one knows about those ideas from Gurdjieff. If they did, they may be able to use the conditions of of their life, even as as hard as as they are and as as bad as they are, to to maybe to do something about it. But all such uh, spiritual or esoteric ideas are just—I mean—they're they're consigned to the to the lunatic fringe if if they're even voiced at all, you know. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. You're ostracized completely. Yeah. yeah but talking about the uh, gulag condominiums that <laughs> you mentioned, which is really uh, <laughs> a very good uh, description of them, um, it, it reminds me of uh, in in your in your second or third video, the myth of overpopulation. Uh, you, you reference this very interesting uh, mouse experiment or experiments by a guy called Dr. John Calhoun. The mouse utopia. Yeah. Yeah, that's, uh, you know, I remember that that film because I, I studied psychology at college. I took two years of psychology and um, one of my professors was brilliant. I, I love the guy because he showed us um, through, you know, empirical evidence that psychology and the whole field of psychology is completely insane. They have no idea what they're doing. They don't. You know, certainly the psychoanalysis has already long since been debunked. I'm surprised anybody has the nerve to raise the, the, the specter of Freud in the conversation because mm -hmm. the guy was such a complete fraud and a, and, and, and a lunatic. And psychology is a pseudoscience. They have no idea what they're doing. Look, there's some studies from behavioralists that do make some sense. They, they, there's something there in the behavioral sciences. And one of those things was the mouse utopia experiment. Now, in the video, I, you know, I dug up this old video uh, of, the, uh, of the actual mouse experiment, you know, Dr. Calhoun, the mouse utopia. And um, I edited it because it was a lot longer, but I edited it down just to get the points across. <coughs> but the actual results of those experiments were horrific. You know, I don't tell you in the video what really happened, and they don't tell you in the video what really happened, but what happened to the mice, and they repeated this experiment numerous times with mice and rats and under different conditions, so they, they replicated the experiment at least two dozen times, always with pretty much the same results. But what happened was the mouse 
the, the Mises, the Mouses, and the Rats, they all went insane. They went like zombie apocalypse. There were rat rape gangs that would break into the dens of other rats and kill and eat the males and gang rape the females and then kill and eat the females. I mean, we are talking apocalyptic nightmare. This is what happened. You know, in the mouse experiment on the video, it only says, well, they all died. Yeah, they all died. That's right. Um, it didn't explain exactly why they all died. They all died because they went insane. And what happened was the survivors, the ones that weren't raped, murdered, and eaten by other rats were so dysfunctional, they could not perform sex anymore. They couldn't have babies. And if they, for somehow, you know, they were able to reproduce, uh, the mothers were so dysfunctional, they were unable to raise the infants into adulthood. And so the infants perished. So they weren't able to reproduce and re replace their diminishing numbers. And that's how they all died. Now, this was a horrible experiment. You know, ethically, you know, okay, they're mice, but even still, I'm really against animal experimentation. But this was way back in the 50s and 60s and long before, you know, the kind of activists brought uh, attention to the hor horrors of animal experimentation. But um, what this experiment shows is that these conditions only, or this behavior only arises under artificial conditions, and which is what I said at the end of the video. This type of behavior doesn't occur in nature. Nature does never allow the population density of a rat or a mouse population to become so high, so impacted that this type of behavior would ever occur. It was because the experimenters kept these animals in a narrow confines of the experiment. So they couldn't expand their population. And therefore, this type of behavior you know, came about. Now, Look at what's happening to us now. You know, we have this myth that, you know, everybody's got to move to the big city because it's more efficient and that's where the jobs are. And, and besides, there's, there's not enough space around. There's not enough room. Well, you know, the first half of the video completely shatters that illusion. There's lots of room in the world. There's plenty of resources for everybody. There is no excuse why anybody has to go hungry, why anybody has to live in a, in a shoebox or in a, a cardboard box on the side of the street. There's plenty, more than plenty for everybody. Uh, the reason why there, we don't have enough for everybody is because the psychopaths enforce artificial scarcity. Uh, in order to drive up prices and to get people to work 80 hours to afford the same, you know, uh, things that they were able to work 30 hours for, you know, 30 years ago. Mm -hmm. But the other thing is hoarding, hurting us into these high-density cities. I, you know, when you look at the, you know, Mexico City, what, 50, 20 million people in a city? Madness, you know. Even here in Toronto, I, since I returned, I'm shocked to discover that Toronto is now 6 million people. It's insane. How, how many, you know, that they would shove everybody in here. And when you look around what's going on here, we have, because uh, I'm doing the research for the article on condominiums, we have over 750 condominium complexes with another 300 being built every year, and they're all downtown. So, you know, the old warehouses and the old factories are long gone 
in its place are, I'm not kidding, 40, 50, 60-story tall condominiums with 1,000 units, 1,500 units, 10,000 people living on a quarter of a square block. 15,000 people living there. First of all, these places are a death trap from a you know, survivalist and a disaster preparedness point of view, having so many people piled up on top of one another, you know, uh, it's, 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 you know, the, the slightest disaster that will occur is going to make sure that these are, you know, 60 story tall tombs for the people that live there because there is no way they're going to survive more than two weeks without power or food or, 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 or uh, uh, infrastructure. If something happens to the infrastructure, which it will happen, we know it's going to yeah. break down. You know, so, uh, you know, how's somebody going to walk 40 stories up to their apartment that has no electricity, no air conditioning, no way to cook food and no way to get food up there and nowhere to scrounge food or, or find fresh water or dispose of their waste? Boy, in two weeks, they'll all be dead, you know. So um, insanity. Stefan, yeah. I've just you've got me thinking about a recent event in, in another country, in Chile. You probably saw the footage of photos of this spectacular volcanic eruption, Calbuco. Mm. Yeah, yeah. It's a way down to the south, but it's it's near, pretty near a large city. I don't remember the name of it. It's not a metropolis, but let's say there's a couple hundred thousand people. And without any issuing of any orders or suggestions to the media, within, you know, a couple of hours, people had of their own accord gone cleared out all the available stock in supermarkets, and then they all went to get gas ASAP, fill up the cars. And there's just news footage of the tailbacks as people try to fill their cars with gas. This was just this was a reaction to just the sight of something that didn't actually... There was no pyroclastic flow on its way down to, to actually threaten them directly. But just the mere thought that the end is upon us. <laughs> People in the city all did what you'd expect them to do. And, of course, the totally inefficient result was that they were all stuck in a traffic jam. Mm-hmm. If there was a threat coming from that volcano, they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, you know, it's a very fragile system that we have. And yet we're told, oh, that's the only thing that works. It's the only thing that's efficient. No, it's... It's very fragile, it's very inefficient, and the slightest bump in the road is going to derail this whole system, and many, many people will die. I, you know, I, I don't want to be negative about it, but, you know, listen, that's the truth of the matter, you know, because, like you said, you know, it, um, within hours, you know, of anything happening, let's say, um, you know, can we expect a false flag nuclear terrorist, you know, a quote, terrorist attack mm. to occur somewhere in the United States this summer, not maybe not this summer, but certainly by 2016? Absolutely, it's going to happen. Mm. And then will that take down the grid? Well, probably, you know. Um, Toronto and much, much of Canada was in a blackout for a week back in 2003 because a, apparently a transformer blew out in Ohio, you know. So... Mm. <laughs> A transformer in Ohio blows out and it can take down half of Canada, the grid of half of Canada. What What's going to happen if uh, there's a, you know, a mini nuke goes off and takes out half a dozen transformers? You know, the entire country could be plunged into darkness for weeks or months. Now, within a day, 
all the food in the groceries are going to be gone, in, in the grocery stores will be gone within a day because everybody, and you know, the 10% that figure out, wait a minute, better get go get some food. Those 10% is going to clean out every grocery store within 24 hours. Now, everybody else that doesn't have food, um, well, <laughs> you're shit out of luck. Uh, I hope you have, you know, a couple of months supply of food in your house. I doubt it. Most people don't. Um, so now they're going to be hungry. So, well, I guess we're going to rely on the government to save us. Well, you know, uh, I did an article. We had a, a, a thunderstorm two, two summers ago. It was Within 45 minutes, I think, six inches of rain dropped down, immediately flooded half the city, and boom, the power goes out. Um, so I get on the, uh, the, walk, the ham radio, and I tune into the uh, emergency services trunk line. This is a, 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 a frequency where most of the uh, fire, police, and ambulance calls are routed through. So you can hear what's going on. You can hear calls coming in from police, calls going out to ambulances. And so by monitoring this frequency, uh, you know, you can get a good idea of what's going on in the city. Well, within an hour... Every fire truck, every ambulance, and every policeman was busy. There was nobody extra. They were, you know, rescuing people from trapped elevators, other people that got uh, you know, too close to the local river or whatever and got swept away in the flood and search and rescue teams and trying to close off you know, cities and highways or roads and highways that had been flooded and redirect traffic. And, man, they were all used up within 45 minutes. Now, this is from a shower, from a 45-minute rainstorm. Mm. A, a thunder shower used up every emergency service within an hour. So, oh, the government's going to save you if you're, you know, if we're under a, a, you know, a complete breakdown of, 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 the, of the infrastructure, of power, of, 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 uh, and, of course, when the power goes, there's no credit card, there's no debit card, there's no... Um, you can't go to the grocery store to buy anything because their cashier, their registers don't work. They're not going to you know, do everything on paper. And you think the government's going to save you? <laughs> I don't think so. Yeah, it, it brings up the interesting or the, the important point that, um, I mean, in communities, in, in a time of crisis, people who live in communities that are that are founded on the idea of cooperation and community living and, and helping and working with each other and people who know each other, who live in a small enough community so that they can actually know each other and trust each other. Uh, in, a, in a time of crisis, those communities kind of deal very well uh, comparatively with with the crisis or with any problems that come up compared to the kind of societies or modern urban sprawls and cities that, that, that you're talking about. It's... Um, I mean, people in Toronto, for example, or in other major North American cities, they're not going to look to their neighbor or get together, band together with other people in their neighborhood because they probably don't even know them. No, you're absolutely right. And that's also shown in the, uh, the mouse utopia experiment. What happens with the mice when they reach a certain population level is that they become completely alienated from one another. They, they, they become schizoid and... Um, we can see this happening with, you know, I can see this happening because, like I said, I work right downtown. I'm actually what they call the entertainment district down there. We have, uh, you know, 50 high-rise condominiums, each one going for a half million dollars and up. I mean, they're selling parking spaces for $68,000, you know. <laughs> 
And um, nobody knows anybody else. They, every single person, when you see them in Toronto, on the street, everyone has a smartphone in their hand and they're looking down. They don't know what's going on around them and um, they don't really communicate with each other except through the iPhone and um, they have absolutely no situational awareness. Now, you know, if you do any camping or hiking in the, in, you know, you like to go in the woods and you like to go um, do, do a bit of hiking in the mountains or go for a walk in the countryside, you notice how your attention expands. You know, you, your awareness radiates from you. You're aware of your environment. You're aware of the sky and the, and the trees and the smells and the sounds and the wind in your face and, and the sun. And, you know, but these people have none of that awareness at all. You know, they're, they're like sleepwalking. It's it's really kind of, you know, science fiction-y. It's, uh, um, but they're all like that. It's Everybody's got their nose in the iPod, you know? Yeah, it's dystopian. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's if, you, if you really think about it, it's uh, the, the movies, of which there are quite a few these days and have been in recent years of a kind of dystopian future, uh, you know, post-cataclysm type things. I mean, uh, they depict... Um, not really. They don't really depict the future. They depict in a large uh, way what's ha- what's happening today. You know, just without the without the uh, you know the police, the full-on police state, or the or the post-cataclysmic scenario. But the people, the reactions of the people in those movies are very similar to the way people react today. But I just wanted to ask you something about the mouse experiment, just to be clear about it. The, the mouse utopia experiment. It was designed in such a way that all of the mice would have uh, every the, theoretically enough living yeah. space and all the food they could possibly eat, right? Yeah, that, that's, that's the point of it. You know, I mean, you could under, almost understand the mouse behavior if they were s- scrambling for resources, but right. they weren't. They all had enough food and water and they had enough theoretical space, uh, meaning, you know, that there was, uh, they constructed it. In, in the video, there's one version of it, but in other versions of it, they constructed it as... Um, a series of warrens. So, you know, every mouse family, so to speak, would have its own little cubicle that were connected to other mouse families to by tubes and to communal areas as well, all by tubes, you know. So even uh, given everybody had their own condominium and everybody had their own food and water, just the density, the number of other creatures that they would have to encounter in their daily lives is what drove them all insane. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we're, you know, everybody seems to be comfortable. Everybody's well fed and uh, they, they have all the comforts of life. But just the fact of, you know, stuffing, you know, 5,000 people in a, in a concrete building, uh, yeah, they all have their own little apartment. Right. But... So did the mice, so did the rat. They all had their own little apartment, and they all went insane and ate each other. Yeah. You can see what people are doing today. I mean, as a reaction to maybe the same, that same uh, set of conditions that humans live in, is that most people are just associating. You, you, you mentioned pretty much everybody walking down the street in Toronto with their faces down on a smartphone. You know, people just are, are shutting out the, the you know, the... The input, the massively over over simulation, or, or or the amount of people and amount of stuff going all on all around them, they kind of tend to dissociate massively uh, because of that, you know. And that's maybe the step <clears throat> right before the the eating and the 
<laughs> eating each other and the, the killing. You know? Yeah, yeah, that's the step before that, you know. And then, you know, the other interesting thing was, um, um, oh, what was it? Uh, the, the behaviors, you know, um, each generation of mice that was born after a certain population uh, density was reached was neurologically retarded from the previous generation. And in other words, uh, kids weren't getting smarter, they were getting dumber. Um, each generation was being born more uh, more retarded. I know it's a politically incorrect word. Uh, mm. Neurologically damaged than the previous generation. Dumbed and down. Dumbed down. And I'm wondering, you know, um, is this the cause for all the autism that we're having? Is this, you know, another... Uh, contributing factor to the dumbing down that they're actually born dumber because of the uh, the conditions of being born into such a high density uh, uh, civilization that we we have you know those are factors to consider um, and then the other curiosity was the uh, the beautiful ones I thought that was the, <laughs> the funniest <laughs> segment of the video that they actually some of these that term he actually used the term the beautiful ones you Explain know? It for our listeners. Um, so what happens to some of the mice, and this is just in the stage before they start eating each other and going total zombie, okay? <laughs> um, they're getting crazier and crazier. They're disassociating. Um, the males tend to get violent because th there is no place for males in an overcrowded society. You know, men um, need to establish themselves you know that's why i'm also you know part of the you know I, I i'm a supporter of the men's rights movement uh men need to have the ability to exercise their activity their action their maleness their their masculinity by doing things and being productive and being a valued member of society rather than a disposable uh resource provider for the government and for the women in their lives you know um and what happens with the mice when a certain population is reached, the males are no longer accepted into the into the society of mice. Um, so they're disposed of, and so they react angrily, and and so they start biting each other's tails. You know, so that's how some of them react, and others react in a different way, where they become pathological narcissists. All these mice did was groom. They just spent their whole time grooming themselves. You know, again, they had enough food and water, but they didn't even try to fit in with the mouse society anymore. They went off by themselves, and all they did was groom. And they were pretty healthy-looking mice originally, you know, because all they did was eat and groom. Um, they didn't, you know, do anything else. But they, you know, that's why they were called the beautiful ones. And... Again, working downtown where uh, the condo where I'm working right now, it's all pretty much young people, a lot of people in the entertainment business and uh, and in banking and things like that. And, well, oh, there's a lot of beautiful people in there, you know, um, and and they know it, and that's all they care about, you know. Uh, <laughs> there's security cameras everywhere, okay, including the elevators, and the elevators all have mirrors in them, and it's just funny that, you know, everybody that gets into the elevator, the first thing they do is pose in the mirror and mm. check their makeup and check their hair and, you know, I don't know, do I do that? I, I don't really do that myself. I don't care how I look anymore. Maybe it's because I'm old and ornery. Mm. But, uh, 
you know, there you have the beautiful ones. That's all they do is look in the mirror, take selfies of themselves, make sure they have the best fashion uh, and the cutest uh, uh, fingernail fashion. And, you know, look at me. Oh, my yeah. God. This is what life is for you people. Oh, it, it's so sad. And then from there, the other thing is the, uh, uh, the homosexuality. Um, the mice started becoming homosexual too. So, you know, and, and every time I turn on the media, the greatest concern uh, with the media these days is, you know, uh, gay rights and, and uh, gay marriage. Oh, my God. Are you kidding me? You know, listen, I got nothing against gays. I, I lived with a transsexual in, when I lived in San Francisco, um, you know, where I worked in the office. I was the only guy that was straight in the whole office, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get along with gays. I don't have a problem with them. But listen, they don't have a lack of rights in the society. Nobody's doing nothing against them. Please, you know, uh, I'm being more ostracized than any gay has ever been ostracized. Trust me, because I go around speaking the truth and I don't run with the crowd. So, you know, you automatically become an outsider and people get nervous around you. So... <laughs> I get discriminated against for being an independent thinker. We are, you know, discriminated against gays. I didn't see anybody discriminated against in San Francisco. But no, quite the opposite, actually. Quite the opposite. As a matter of fact, I almost thought, you know, in order to get a job, maybe I should affect the lisp, you know. <laughs> Maybe yeah. I should pretend I'm gay. Then they hire me. They won't hire a straight white guy anymore. Well, yeah. um, I think there's an argument to be made that you know there's there is a lot of positive positive discrimination in in, in that respect uh, going on today. You know, um, and particularly in major major cities. You know, major cosmopolitan, you know, uh, trendy kind of cities like L.A. or New York, whatever. Uh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the, the whole gay rights thing is. Uh, Sure, I mean, I could I could listen to the argument, but the way that it's being promoted in the media, uh, my answer is, listen, that's not the world's biggest problem right now, and it's not it, anybody's biggest problem. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. It is not the world's biggest problem. You hit it on the nail on the head. And, uh, you know, yeah, maybe some people, you know, if some gay goes to, you know, some little backwater town in the south and people don't like them. So what? You know, everybody's entitled to their opinion, too. If people don't want to like gays, they're entitled to not like gays. Personally, I don't have anything against them. I tend to like gays. I get along really well with them. Uh, um, you know, I tend to tend to have a good sense of humor. I like that. But to get back to the point you were making, it this was observed in the the mice experiments. That, yes, it's observed uh, in the mice but, and and that's the, fascinating. And I mean, the beautiful people aspect of it is very interesting as well. But yeah. for me, it's almost as if uh, you have obviously rampant narcissism um, around these days, particularly in Western cultures, you know, amongst everybody or anybody. And um, it's just uh, it's, it's on the spectrum, effectively, of, of psychopathy. You know, I mean, on the far end, you have kind of full-blown clinical psychopathy. But you come down from that and you get into kind of extreme narcissism and then, you know, Excessive narcissism, etc., all the way down. So narcissism, as it uh, as it exists in society today, is uh, I think is is an example of that infection of that uh, the polarization or the the influence or the infection of the psychopathic ideals as spread by uh, by by psychopaths in positions of power down through the population. You know, it gets maybe watered down or filtered down a little bit, but it's still very much in in in, in evidence amongst the population and getting worse and worse and it's almost as if 
just using the mouse experiments uh, as an example on people, like you're saying, people preening themselves in mirrors every opportunity they get, taking selfies and stuff. It's almost as if they're, because people are denied or lack any kind of anything of genuine interest to a, a soul or spiritual level uh, or even at a human level, any, they're, they're not offered anything that would interest them outside of themselves. You know, there's, at some level they recognize there's nothing really interesting around them uh, to really stimulate them from, a, like I said, a spiritual point of view. Uh, they turn inwards, you know. They become their own focus of attention. Yeah, you, I couldn't have said it better. That's that's it in a nutshell. It's the polarization of society. Absolutely, is um, you know contributing to the narcissism. And then when you add in, you know, the the, the, the population densities of the of the, the big mega cities, and uh, and then compare that to what happened with the mouse experiment, which is a contributor to the polarization. You know, so the psychopaths in charge, listen, they knew this stuff. That. These experiments are 50, 60 years old now, and I'm pretty sure that, you know, these clever little psychopaths that run things figured this out a long time ago, that if they want to further their agenda of ponderizing and, and, and turning the entire population into a bunch of, you know, self-centered psychopaths, one of the tools that they could use is, you know, big cities and get everybody shoved in them. Uh, that furthers their agenda, absolutely. And another one is war. There's a, a quote from the Polish psychologist who was describing polarology and how a society is infected, and he has an amazing um, description at one point describing how, from the point of view of, of a psychopathic elite, a war is, is extremely useful, and it has nothing to do with the external enemy, but it's useful because you can... Uh, deal with or do yes you can remove some of the excess male particularly male threat to your position by sending them over there to kill each other off yeah no that's you're absolutely right you see war is a way of ridding society of the good decent men that might have changed society for the better and you know that's why they appeal to young men um you know, because young men are still ideal. That's why it's young men that fight wars. It's old men that declare it, declare them, but they send off the young guys to, to, to go fight them because they appeal to the, you know, innate warrior ethic that healthy young men are born with. This is part of our gender. This is part of our DNA. And um, men that want to, you know, do things positively, physically, you know, build, you know, a little bit of Ayn Rand in here with the, you know, with the uh, uh, John Galt kind of stereotype. But, you know, that's what healthy men want to do, explore, build, solve problems, engineer, protect, rescue. You know, these are the positive masculine traits that, that are part of our DNA. And our society denies that in every aspect of life except war right. but and so there's a they strong do is need for them they're needed because the united states for example the infrastructure is crumbling they need to rebuild basically even just to keep the current system going as bad as it is the infrastructure is crumbling so both the money and the manpower could be redirected if it was redirected, if it was channeled to do what we are meant to do as human beings, <laughs> that's why I say we could have yeah. had paradise, you know. Uh, 
So war, you know, appeals to the warrior ethic and then they betray them. And they send them over for useless, you know, engagements and they destroy these guys. They know these guys are going to get killed. See, psychopaths don't die in war. Uh, people with a conscience die in war because, mm. um, you know, there they are in the foxhole and, uh, oh, their buddy's got shot. He's out in, a, in no man's land screaming in pain. Let's go rescue him. So the psychopath is like, you know, first of all, he wouldn't be stupid enough to volunteer for the army. Second of all, if he was stupid enough to volunteer or get drafted, he'd be in, you know, something like uh, 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 in the KP duty or uh, uh, handling, uh, you know, distribution and uh, what did they call that? Uh, you know, where they distribute the warehouse, you know. Logistics, all right. He's not going to be frontline troop. Remember, only about 10% of an army is actually frontline troops anyways. So the psychopath is nowhere to be found anyways. But what happens is the guy with the courage, the brave guys, the ones with a conscience, um, let's go rescue our buddy. They run out into no man's land and get killed. So war kills off the good people. Um, and it kills them off at a young age before they're wise enough to use their talents as 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 young productive men to you know change the world for the better. So war is a tool for the psychopaths. It works for them so many different ways. It's 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 Christmas every day. There's a war uh, because not only do they make obscene profits, but they also are able at that same time to kill any future challenges to their power. Right, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> Stefan, you you mentioned, I think, to me at one point anyway, that um, when I was talking to you recently about uh, about these videos, that you've got a few more in, in the series to come. Yeah, I'm I'm really struggling with the next one. It's hard. You see, in the opening video, I said for the money, everybody could have a house. Right. And you know, the kicker is for the interest you pay on the money. You could have two-month vacation a year. Um, but I lied about that. Um, those numbers aren't accurate. The truth of the matter is, for the money, not only could you have a house, you could have a mansion, a Mercedes-Benz for everybody in the house, a pool, a summer house, a yacht, and probably a private jet. That's the real numbers. I mean, it's it's, but I can't tell people that because it's so far fetched. Nobody would believe me. But the money that has been taken from each and every single working family in this country, in this world, would have provided, you know, not just a cottage on a on a small piece of property like I show in the video. It would have provided everybody with a mansion. And not only would you have two months vacation a year, you'd have four months vacation a year. That's the money they've stolen from us. But it's very hard for me to describe how that's done. And I'm, I'm trying to think of an easy way of describing it. But the thing is, you know, for every $10 you have, first of all, $4 is stolen from you right off the top in income tax, right? Mm -hmm. So now you have $6. Now you go to spend that $6, another 10 to 15% is spent is taken right off the top on retail tax. So now you have $5. Now, $5 for 50. Out of that $5, let's say you spend that $5 on a product or a service. Of that $5, $4 is tax. So 
you know, this is this is what has been taken from us. Even forensic accountants cannot determine how much money is removed from the economy through the various and numerous innumerable taxes. But their conservative estimates are 75%. So 75% of the cost of everything you buy or do is tax already, which means you're paying tax on a tax on a tax on a tax ad infinitum. It's I, I, so I am having a hard time putting this into a video. Now I'm trying to think, can I show it in a graph? Can I describe it in words? Can I describe it in pictures? Because it's mind boggling. <clears throat> but if we go back, I want to bring up a concept called man hours, uh, which is different from money. Oh, and then if you add in inflation, um, the, then even more money is stolen because inflation is another form of tax, uh, a direct result of a, a fiat currency system. So you know, for every $10 that you earn, the government takes $9. That's what it does. Every $10, the government takes 9 Now, in the Middle Ages, in the medieval times, when peasants were taxed at a rate approaching 10%, that's usually the time they pick up the pitchforks and they storm the castle mm-hmm. because – you know, uh, 10% was outrageous. We live in a society where we are taxed 90%. This is the truth of it, but it's hidden. Mm. And it's, it's hidden in numerous different ways. And my God, if I were to add in things like driver's license and licenses for doing business, which is tax, you don't need a license. Me having a driver's license never affected the way I drove my car, whether I had one, whether it was suspended, you know. Mm-hmm. It never, it's just, again, that is also another tax. So out of every $10 you spend or earn, $9.50 goes to the government. Do you understand how much they've stolen from us? It's mind-boggling. So if that money was given back, you'd be wealthy beyond your imagination. Imagine somebody, say, my age, okay? I've been working now, uh, well, 40 years, okay? Let's say somebody said, okay, the government has been taking 95% of everything you earned for the last 40 years. That amounts to, say, 38 years' worth of income. Here's 38 years' worth of income in a check in my bank today. Do you think I could retire happily? Of course. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, do you think I could build a house for myself? Absolutely. I could build a house for myself and six of my closest friends. You know? Yeah. That's been taken you know this is the the system that we live under so that's the next video i don't know how to put it together in words just yet so i'm struggling with it it's it's mind-boggling it's unbelievable so when i said you know you could buy a small cottage people could have a couple of months off vacation you know like in germany they have six weeks standard vacation a year you know here it's still two weeks mm-hmm. it could easily be two months it wouldn't be you know wouldn't harm anybody if everybody had two months off wouldn't be wouldn't slow nothing down. The only reason that we, we we work this hard is because the psychopaths in charge are just draining us of right. every last nickel and dime that we have. You know, I I expect any day now police to start raiding homes and going through the pillow cushions on the couch looking for loose change. You know, that's what it's come down to. So that's the next video. I I don't know how I'm going to do that. And then the final video is why. Why was it stolen from us and why did we let them? And 
you know, the, the, uh, the other myth is that war makes a lot of money for the psychopaths. But actually, the psychopaths could have made just as much money building houses for everybody. The psychopaths could have made just as much money providing uh, light rail transit systems throughout the country. Um, they could have made just as money, much money finding alternative energy sources. The thing is, and I'm going to talk about serial killers, because <clears throat> to understand serial killers, uh, we had two here in Toronto. I don't know, guys, how much time do we have? Yeah, go ahead. You know, we had a pair of serial killers here, uh, Paul Bernardo and Carla Homoka, and they kidnapped and raped and tortured uh, three women. And um, they kept them in their basement chained up, and they videotaped them, and the videotapes were shown to the juries. And the people that sat on those juries that had to watch and listen to those videotapes all suffered from post-traumatic stress disorder afterwards because the horror that they witnessed was was, you know, beyond anything that they, they could deal with, you know, emotionally afterwards. Um, but, you know, these two people, uh, husband and wife, were good-looking, you know. They were the beautiful people. Um, he was a successful accountant, you know. Um, they had big fancy weddings. They had families. They had friends, you know. <clears throat> and so they made these videotapes, and these videotapes showed what all videotapes show made by serial killers, and a lot of them have taped their victims. You know, in the annals, in the case files of serial killers throughout history, hundreds of them taped their victims. And all these tapes have the same thing in common. What they have in common is their victims pleading and begging and cooperating and, and going along with the, the horrific instructions to carry out disgusting sexual acts in, in hopes that they will placate their tormentors. And they would beg and plead and tell them that they had family and children that were depending on them. And never, ever did the serial killers ever let these people go. Now, the reason I'm saying that is because the difference between Carla Homoka and Paul Bernardo and the other serial killers is the same mentality as the politicians and the people that run the country now. And the reason they do this is because they enjoy people suffering. That's what it is. They enjoy to see us suffer. And so when we protest and we demonstrate and we sign petitions and we uh, we picket and we strike and we make YouTube videos. Well, we're pleading with that's them. The, that's the same as those victims chained in the basement to the chair saying, please, I'll do anything. Just let me go. I, I, I have children. I have family. I, you know, it's the same thing. The, they're not going to let us go. You know, they're not going to stop the torture. The more we beg, the more we protest, the more we riot. They like that. They love that. Man, they're getting off. They're getting warm and moist thinking about it. See, this is what we as as a society has to understand, that it's not just that the war makes them a lot of money. Yeah, war makes them a lot of money. But that's not really why we have the war. Uh, it's not just that you know, make, making everybody work 80 hours a week to survive, to scramble for, for, for some type of an existence into society. It's not because they make a lot of money from it. Yeah, they do. But ultimately, the reason is they like it. They like to see us suffer because they're psychopaths. 
That's what psychopaths are. That's what psychopaths do. And until we understand this, we won't understand why our society has gone this bad so wrong. Well, wow. I think that uh, pretty much sums it up right there, Stefan. It's, uh, it's the, one of the deepest um, truths, I think, about uh, you know, life on planet Earth and, and <clears throat> why we are today where we are um, and the problems that, that face us. I don't know if there's a, I don't know if there's a solution to it. I mean, you, you've just, you've just dispelled the idea of, um, of protesting, uh, as a, as a recourse to, to real, any real change. So I think the change would have to happen at a, at a kind of knowledge of, at a level of knowledge or, or awareness, uh, rather than people just reactively getting out in the streets and complaining. Yeah, um, you know, I just, I'm sorry, I just don't, look, let's go back, you know, let's go back before they started the invasion of uh, Iraq. I remember back, I think it was 2003, 2004, the protests, millions of people in every city, Barcelona, Paris, you know, Rio de Janeiro, Toronto, New York, you know, millions of people protested to stop that war from starting. <laughs> Did it slow them down? No. It may have encouraged them. Yeah, they laughed at it. They laughed at it. I mean, really, when you have hundreds of thousands of people jamming the cities in every major city in the world to try and stop this from starting, it didn't slow them down. It didn't even make them blink. So is that going to work? Well, to me, that reminds me of those victims chained in the basement begging for their lives. Please let me go. They're not going to let you go. They don't care if there's two people or two million people protesting in the street. Doesn't not, doesn't do anything for them. Look, ultimately, there's going to be two solutions to this. One is small communities. You guys brought it up earlier. Mm. Uh, small communities working together. Absolutely, that is the way to go. Small autonomous communities of people that understand each other and work together. Now, that community doesn't necessarily have to be a monastery in the countryside. That community can be a group of people living in an inner city as well. The, the, the key to this is mutual cooperation and support and having, you know, the understanding that we're doing this because we're trying to separate ourselves from a psychopathic destructive system. Though that is one solution. And the other solution, and it's going to come down to that, is... People are going to get killed, and people are going to have to learn how to be violent sometimes. The only people that ever escaped those serial killers, and there was a couple of them that did manage to escape, they were the ones that fought back. Remember, there is no police detective that solves the complex series of clues that's left behind by the serial killer and breaks down the door at the 11th hour to rescue the victim. That never happens. And the same with us as a society. There is no Messiah coming. There is no alien spacecraft that's going to land. There is no political party that's going to rise up. None, none of that is going to save us. The only thing that's going to save you and the only thing that saved those rare people that managed to escape the serial killers are those, the ones that fought back and fought hard and fought for their 
goddamn lives. And we have to fight for our goddamn lives. And I don't mean necessarily going out and shooting people or doing things like that. We don't have to resort to overt violence. But goddamn it, we've got to take a stand and fight it now. Mm-hmm. And you have to be tough. And you have to be willing to be ostracized and alienated and fired from your job and, and ruin your credit rating and your standing in the community. Well, you know, if that's the worst that happens to you, well, then do it that God's sakes, make that stand. Do that. You know, fight the system by, you know, not engaging in the political system and not feeding into the machine. You know, don't shop at Walmart and and cancel your subscription to cable and and and, and, and to magazines and get rid of the goddamn iPhone and you know right. go out and you know start disinfecting. Start fighting. Dis- start disinfecting yourself, basically. Of this exactly. Disease. You know, and that. You got to be strong to do that because it is hard. But mm. look, eventually it's going to get down to it. People are going to have to start shooting people. It always comes to that. You know, think of the, uh, you know, the French Revolution where they manned the barricades, and you know, um, it always ends up that way, guys. Right. Um, but that's so that's, we want to avoid that if possible. The smart people will avoid that that situation because that doesn't look too good either. You know. Yeah, the smart people want to avoid it, and that's why you know, form a community. But you need people in that community that are willing to break a few jaws, uh, bust a few knees. You know, I'm sorry. That's that's the way to, you know, (laughs) nature is cruel, you know, um, and that's the way life is. It can often be very cruel, and and violence has a place. So form communities, um, you know, and make sure that that community has the option of using counter-violence. Mm-hmm. Um, we can't have, um, you know, I, I know I lived in California and I often visited, uh, you know, the uh, ashram that was up in, in the mountains close to where I lived. It was a spiritual retreat and, you know, yeah, very nice, beautiful, you know, gardens, trees. Uh, um, they had yurts, you know. Beautiful people. Beautiful people. Uh I could have killed every one of them in about half <laughs> with my bare hands, you know. They wouldn't have stood a chance against me. Mm. You know, none of them would have been able to. They, they would have been so frightened just by the threat of getting a punch in the nose. They would have all capitulated instantly, you know. So it's great that you got this community, but, you know, listen, folks, uh, got, you need some warriors among you. Right, you know, you got, some, you, you got to be a little bit streetwise. Uh, you know, thank goodness I'm a nice guy. I've I've never had to hurt anybody in my life. But man, if I had to, I could have become petty lord and dictator of this spiritual <laughs> retreat. Yeah. You know, is this Aislinn you're talking about? Yeah, yeah, um, not Aislinn, but it was uh, like an Aislinn. Right, this was yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, well, it's it an option. Fun. You know, if you ever want to be lord and <laughs> dictator of a spiritual retreat. <laughs> <laughs> no thanks, though. So. I've met some of those people. <laughs> yeah so so you know it's the yin and the yang of course it's the balancing yes let's let's be peaceful kind helpful people but you know um the old uh, saying a, a gentleman keeps his sword close by right well people who care about each other will rise to the occasion if they really care about each other you know what i mean well, that's how, you know that's how they get people to fight in wars. You know, they put all these guys in a in a foxhole, and um, yeah, they're out and they're ready to start shooting the enemy because they're protecting the other guys in the foxhole. You know, at that point in the uh, in the in the you know the indoctrination of 
boys into soldiers, there's no longer any chance to debate the politics of the war. Uh, no, you're being shot at, and so you shoot back. So they support each other because they want to save their friends and they want to save themselves. So a community, if it's under attack, will probably do that. But, you know, a little bit of preparation would go a long way from when that time happens. So all the beautiful people in the condominium downtown there, um, there's no chance these guys are going to work together. No, no hope in hell, you know. Uh, they're alienated, they're schizoid, they're, they're, they don't have any skills. You know, listen, working together as a group, you guys know, right, mm -hmm. takes certain skills. You can't just, you know, uh, come into a group without ever having cooperated, as uh, worked as a team and learned how to make compromises and work together and, and be able to fit in. No, those are skills that you have to learn. And, right. And or, so, or, you, or you better pick it up pretty quick. Or pick it up pretty quick. You better be yeah, quick on your feet and adaptable. And, uh, um, you know, th th that helps a long way to working together, you know, understanding the dynamics of, of, of teams and, and communities. These people have no understanding of community dynamics. None. They have rules that are handed down to them by the board of directors of the condominium corporation. And, uh, and they're watched by cameras to make sure they don't break the rules, you know. Yeah. So if suddenly all that was removed and now work together as a community, how, how could you expect them to do that? Yeah. They have no training. They have no experience in that. You know, it's, you know, I often use the example. It's like expecting a toaster to turn into a refrigerator. You know, how can it do that? Mm. It's a toaster. It can't become a, a refrigerator. Yes, they're all machines. They're all appliances. But they can't magically transform into something just because you want it to. Right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Stefan, I think we're going to leave it there for for this evening. Um, thank you very much again, and well done. People can check out your, your videos. You're just Stefan Verstappen on YouTube, and you have a website, chinastrategies.com. Um, yeah, and uh, I hope you hope you figure out the the some way to kind of convey the what you're trying to convey for this next video of um, that you're having a bit of trouble with, but I mean, I think it's it's worth putting the effort into it because uh, they're very useful, you know, and we published them on SAT.net and uh, uh, a lot of people really liked them and shared them and, you know, because uh, because they're really good, basically, they, and they tell a lot of truth in a short period of time. Well, thank you very much for your kind words uh, and thanks for having me on. I, I just love talking to you guys. I get, as you can see, as you can hear, I get pretty animated. Yeah, it's good though. It has to be. It has to be that way, you know. I mean, if you can't be animated about the state of this world, then you're dead, you know. Yeah, yeah. And, and you guys get it. And I know the work that you've been doing and I'm a big supporter of the work. I think you guys are brilliant and uh, I think you're doing the right thing. I think if anybody is going to survive the times that are coming, it's you guys and your community and the work that you're doing. I think it's vital. You're going to be, you know, a, a bulwark against the madness. And um, I, I commend you guys. I'm, I'm a big fan of you, of your work. Thanks, man. And on that point, Stefan, if you're ever over this side of the pond, uh, you let us know and we'll, we'll hook up, you know, because you're very welcome at any point. You can come and hang out and spend a week. I definitely will. I definitely will. will, will. If I get over there, <laughs> yeah. I miss Europe. You know, I haven't been back in a long time. I miss Europe. All right. Well, you're very welcome anyway. Um, so thanks again. And we'll, uh, yeah, we'll probably talk to you again at some point in the future, hopefully. Anytime, guys. Anytime. All right. Thanks, Stefan.
Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Okay, so I think we just got cut off there at the very end for some reason. I don't know why. But, um, yeah, that was um, Stefan Verstappen. Yeah, a great, great interview. That's the third time we've had him on. Uh, do check out the other two videos or interviews we've done with him and his videos. You can find them all on our site, on SOT, or you find them, they're linked from his own site, chinastrategies.com. And the latest in the series, the latest series is Paradise Stolen. And the next one he says, he's working on it. Uh, it's an interesting quandary, how to convey something very complex in just a few minutes. But he's done so well so far, so we wish him the best of luck with uh, his next videos. And they are super interesting. I mean, when you're trying to explain how the world is now, it's a super useful analogy to just go back and say, well, let's just go back to basics. Either how did it work in the past, or in his case, he unearths the gem of how people function. And I checked out this, this place he's talking about in Toronto. Um, it is unique, although you'll find pockets like it in other cities and other places in the world. Um, and it's it's not completely government-less in the sense it has it's run by a trust, so the community itself regulates uh, who gets to live there, planning permissions, and so on. And it's given the state of the world, it's utopian to think that we we're just going to all end up in something like that. However. The point that it is real um, just stands in sharp contrast to the chaotic reality or city life that most people live in. And the sheer contrast of putting the two next to each other tells us a lot about the way most people are living. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, you know, especially in the Western world, you know, there's there's this ever-widening wealth gap and uh, increasingly over um, for the past maybe 10 or 20 years it's got a lot worse you know with uh, everybody knows about the 1% and the protests about Wall Street and banking and bailouts and people losing jobs etc it hasn't got to a point where you know there's complete social chaos in that respect <clears throat> but people are suffering a lot more I mean I often remember that that interview not an interview a speech that a town hall talk that George Bush gave uh, several years ago when he was still president. And uh, there was a, a woman who, um, he was talking about the, econ the economy and uh, a woman in the audience stood up and said, you know, I, you know, I'm a single mother and I work uh, three jobs. I work, you know, whatever it was, 80, 100 hours a week. And, you know, I, I think she just wanted to say, I think I contribute, you know. And Don't I, don't I deserve a break? Yeah, don't deserve a break. I think, but and I think I contribute, and certainly she does. She's working yeah. all the hours that God sends, just to provide for her family. And uh, and Bush, I remember Bush saying, um, 
so he said something like, uh, "Isn't America great? Isn't America, she can work American, three jobs." It's really, it's the American way. And then he, and he added, uh, "Do you get any sleep?" <laughs> <clears throat> and she was, she actually responded, "No, I don't actually, not very much at all." You know, so I mean, that's an example of the kind of uh, the ignorance and complete lack of compassion or care for for the ordinary people that prevails among the political classes. Yeah, and uh, and don't they know it? I mean, what they kind of do, they have these meetings and they call them town hall meetings, yeah. but they're not. They're carefully stage managed, mm-hmm. usually election uh, yeah, campaign yeah. events, you know. But we'll call it town hall because it's kind of what the people want. Mm-hmm. Your local. It's what they don't have, actual any kind of actual local power, except, of course, in some rare cases like this island community of Toronto. Mm. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, people obviously, it's been so long since people lived that way that um, most people, especially the, the younger generation today, have no idea of of what it's like to live in any other way than, well, I mean, most of them have no idea of what it's like to live in any other way than an urban sprawl where you're, you know, technology is all around you and your life is dominated, dictated by technology. If it's, if it isn't kind of movies and TV, it's uh, computers and iPads and cell phones. And, and, um, if you're lucky enough to get a job, you got to work. A lot of people have to work for the kind of the bare minimum to get by. And that's no way to live really. unless Stefan was saying, it's not necessary. It doesn't have to be that way. It's a complete, uh, it's real injustice and it's a crime effectively against uh, the ordinary people of this world who are who are having to, to to work in that way, you know, work their lives away basically and work themselves into an early grave essentially because they, again, they don't have enough money to buy proper food. They have to buy the cheapest foods available and the cheapest food that's available is, is toxin-laden food and, you know, before they're, before they're 50 or 60 they have a cancer or some other modern illness. So it's pretty dystopian. Uh, when you think about it, but you have to be able to think about it from a, an outside perspective and from a different perspective, and that perspective isn't available to most people, you know. So, um, yeah. Anyway, there we're just going to talk about a few other stories uh, from around the world uh, before we wrap up uh, today with a, I'm sure, a much anticipated uh, pop culture roundup from our old friend on the shores of the northern shores, I think, of Lake Canada, Relic. So, um, yeah, a few things that just came across my desk this week. Interestingly, 72,000 ballot papers were stolen in London ahead of next week's general election in the UK, where you have this uh, parade of horrible, feckless, ignorant, blathering, psychopathic assholes who are putting themselves up for election. And it's a joke. So that's the UK elections next week. And 72,000 ballot papers in a van were stolen. And it immediately reminded me, of course, of the Scottish uh, election last last year. The referendum. Not the, not the election, the referendum for independence. When one of the, you know, plausible explanation for why the vote came back no, when a va- the vast majority of people before the election were all primed to vote yes for independence and the there was no vote, and as you may remember, we wrote an article about it at the time that pointed out the highly unlikely uh, situation that, that that was, that people would have voted no, and that it was most likely rigged in some way. And of course, election rigging is part of the course on this planet, especially in Western dem- democracies where there's so much freedom, uh, you just can't, uh, you don't know what to do with yourself, and uh, 
you have to. There's so <laughs> much. There's so much freedom you can rig elections. Yeah, you're so totally free. Oh, yeah, well, like freedom extends to rigging elections. Of course, I mean, you know, you can't be, you can't, you can't be, um, kind of, uh, you can't, you can't deny the elite their freedoms to do yeah, as, they, exactly. as they will, and they like to rig elections. So, uh, yeah. So as I was saying, the story this week: seventy-two thousand ballot papers stolen. Um, they said the, the authorities in the UK said they were going to take action to make sure that it, they weren't used in in the election in a few days. But of course, it points out that massive amounts of ballot papers can be stolen, and just supplant this story with with a, a, a this, uh, this scenario with a scenario from last year, where van loads of ballot papers were stolen as well. But of course, they were stolen by particular people who uh, that weren't officially criminals. They were acting or working for the government. And of course, it doesn't get into the media. Nobody knows about it. And those ballot papers can be used to change the vote, which is more likely what happened. And the other aspect of this about the Scottish referendum last year was that coming uh, alongside this story is <clears throat> the reports, and they're probably very true, that the Scottish National Party, since refer- uh, up, leading up to last year's referendum and since then has gained a lot of support, bizarrely because the majority of people supposedly voted against independence, which means that they're not Scottish National Party voters because the Scottish, Scottish National Party is founded on uh, pursuing independence for Scotland. But what they're saying now is that uh, Labour, the Labour Party in the UK, was, um, was previously had a fairly strong representation in Scotland, but they're saying now that the, the Scottish National Party is going to take all the seats in the uh, in this election, in this next election. In the Scottish constituencies, yeah. Yes, basically yeah. in Scotland. Yeah. Everybody, everybody in Scotland is going to vote for the Scottish National Party. <clears throat> and this comes less than a year, six months, after supposedly a majority of them voted against independence, which yeah. the Scottish National Party yeah. uh, stands for. So these, these two stories just coming back to back, just, it's, I mean, it's ridiculous, you know. People on election day, supposedly, uh, or on referendum day last year, they just, for some reason, forgot what they wanted and voted no. Uh, and then immediately afterwards, they all said, oh, hang on. I meant to vote yes. Can we do it again? Obviously, there was rigging going on. So that's just a, a small uh, note. Other things, um, I'll just throw these out. Saudi Arabia bombs Yemen with U.S.-supplied cluster bombs. Um this is Human Rights Watch reported that the Saudi Arabian-led coalition that is bombing the Houthi rebels in Yemen is using U.S.-supplied cluster munitions. So that's you know, America's. Obviously, it's a, it's not it's not really news. It's par for the course. It's it's to be expected. But that is a, an example of how the U.S., if it isn't actively directly involved in a war, how it's actually making it happen. Because it's not just cluster bombs using American jets and American guns and American everything else. Um, so it's an American war waged by the Saudis on the on behalf of America. You know, and it's in the interest of Saudi Arabia as well, obviously. Um, obviously, people are aware of Baltimore uh, over the past few weeks. And Freddie Gray, who was the cause of the protests in Baltimore, um, it turns out, as most people probably know, that the the uh, state attorney general uh, has said that five police officers are going to be accused of effectively his murder 
somewhere or other. They haven't revealed why, but there's been a lot of speculation about them. Um, I mean, there's an eyewitness, a guy who was in the same police van as him, said that he, uh, they're separated. They didn't, he didn't see him, but he heard him and in his compartment and that he was banging around the, the, the van, you know. And um, there's the Baltimore, uh, I think the Baltimore police, yeah, in 2005 have a bit of a case, a bit of a history of um, of taking prisoners on what they call nickel rides or uh, I think there's another name for it as well. But basically they just uh, rough up uh, someone they've detained for looking at them wrong, which was the case in the case of Freddie Gray. He looked at them wrong, basically, and they arrested him, threw him into a police van. They take him on a on a ride in the back of this van where he's shackled, uh, hands and feet, handcuffed and, and leg shackles, but not restrained anyway in the in the in the police van, no seatbelt. And then they take him on a high speed tour around the streets of Baltimore, <clears throat> taking sharp corners and stuff. And he flies, obviously, flies around this, you know, reinforced steel. Uh, compartment and uh, lo and behold he fractured his or broke his neck basically and uh, they tried to cover it up and tried to say that you know he did it himself or it was an accident but at least in this case they're actually prosecuting police for it I think they thought that uh, honesty was uh, the better option in this case um, well that and the big element of this being contrived if you take, for example, the revelation last year that Chicago police force have for some decades since 9-11 been torturing people mm-hmm. in their police stations uh, routinely. It's in fact effectively like a black site. Yeah, they have these. It's Who knows how far it extends into Intel, i.e. CIA or other alphabet agencies. But um, that's what I mean when I suggest this contrived that, that they're making a case out of Freddie Gray's death, it may be because of the public backlash. Mm-hmm. It may be. Um, but then how come, why would why would one more black man's death create such a massive issue? But then these things are all coming back to back, one after the other. Mm. There seems to be not a week goes by where yeah. a police officer is shot or in some way killed. Uh, not just black people, but yeah, there's a, there's a there seems to be a momentum behind this, and um, it's ongoing, obviously, particularly since Ferguson last year. And um, I mean, there's a suggestion there. Fox News actually carried a a segment on one of their news programs, saying that uh, a data mining company had found evidence of links between the social media accounts of people, uh, protesters in Ferguson and protesters in Baltimore, which suggests, they said, suggest uh, professional protesters. They weren't saying they were government, but they're saying that these are people who are, as a a job, basically go around protesting professionally um, and maybe looting, etc., whatever. So um, obviously it leaves open the distinct possibility that these could be uh, government uh, or, or protesters in the employ of government because Asian provocateurs are very, a very common part of uh, a government's response to protests. So, uh, you know, there's evidence to suggest that people involved in, in these riots from Ferguson last year until today in Baltimore, that there are people 
deliberately provoking some kind of confrontation with the police and trying to direct the protests in a certain in a certain direction. So it seems that we can say with uh, with some confidence that these protests are being managed to some extent. That's not to say that there aren't people or the, in the black community in, in the U.S. who are genuinely annoyed and angered at the treatment being meted out to, that has been meted out to black people for, for so long. But it's unlikely that it's just a, a free-flowing, spontaneous, um, completely spontaneous, completely uh, kind of natural uh, movement that's happening here. That's not the way the government works. You go back to, uh, I mean, COINTELPRO and the FBI way back in the 50s and 60s looking at every single group of any significance in the US from the, you know, from the Save, yeah. save the Trees people to the Black Panthers, you know, everybody was infiltrated and yeah. everybody was controlled. So it's unlikely that any kind of uh, protest these days are not being watched and aren't infiltrated. By if someone. they're not actively instigating and or managing these events, they saw them coming four moves ago. Yeah. Well, but yeah, exactly. Yeah. And means they can prepare in advance. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not just in the U.S. Uh, then there, was, there were more protests this week uh, on May Day, just a couple of days ago, um, at an anti-capitalist demonstration in Milan. Um, this was a, there's the Milan Expo, which is basically... Uh, an, uh, an international business ex- exposition for international corporations, basically. And um, there were protesters at that, and there were clashes between um, black-clad protesters and police. Uh, and these black-clad pro- protesters were, you know, the black bloc, the ones that always turn things violent when most people are peaceful. Um Police fired tear gas, as tear gas, and um, <clears throat> officers, police were pelted with uh, stones and cars set on fire, etc., etc. Uh, there was also protests where police fired tear gas uh, at demonstrators in Tel Aviv. Protests against racism and police brutality in Tel Aviv. Uh, of course, th- I think these are largely the uh, I can't remember their name now, but the Jews that come from Ethiopia. Uh, because, I mean, Israel is a racist society, and not just in, in the context of its um, its treatment, long-term treatment of Palestinians, but internally to Israel, uh, there's uh, flagrant racism all over the place as well, uh, not involving Palestinians, but that's that's normal, you know, I mean, when you've got 60, 70 years of uh, this kind of elitist view of 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 Israelis uh, versus the Palestinians is going to spill over into national, um, uh, you know, national uh, culture and, and national the society within Israel itself, excluding the Palestinians. So there's all sorts of racism going on as well. So it's a bit of a um, bit of a ticking time bomb, I think. Israeli Aryans. Yeah. Um, earthquakes, apart from Nepal. Uh, two earthquakes just this week as well in um, LA, well, one in LA, 3.9 earthquake that um, were woken up. Uh, people were woken up by the by the shaking. It was a very shallow uh, earthquake, so it had even though it was 3.9, it had quite a lot of uh, got a lot of attention from ordinary people. And also a 4.2 earthquake in Michigan. Yeah, uh, that was the largest uh, earthquake in Michigan uh, since 1947. So things um, 
are rocking and rolling, and not just on a social level, but also on a planet, on a, on a geologic uh, level as well. The Earth is uh, matching the social tremors step step by step. You know, um, there's also a documentary. I didn't watch it yet, but there's a new documentary focusing on Putin's Vladimir Putin's 15 years in power, and it has interviews with Putin. And he says some very interesting things. One of the interesting things he says is that that the Russian Russian intelligence uh, into in the early two thousands intercepted communications um, f- between basically the CIA and North Caucasus separatists, uh, where they were plotting things together i.e. effectively the CIA were uh, involved in supporting funding, training, etc. Rebel groups effectively within Russia. Um, Putin says directly, at one point our secret services simply detected direct contacts between militants from the North Caucasus and representatives of the U.S. secret services in Azerbaijan. So the CIA in Azerbaijan was hooking up with uh, Chechen yeah. rebels, effectively, in the early 2000s. Um, the country which Greg Palace calls the Republic of BP. Yeah. Um, totally British-controlled place. And this was under under Bush's administration, and you know Bush and Putin got on well, apparently, according to Bush, anyway. And uh, and Putin says, he spoke about, I spoke about that to the then-president of the U.S., and he said, sorry, I will speak plainly. He said, I'll kick their asses. This is what Putin Bush said, I'll kick their asses, Putin, don't worry, these people are not, you know, I'm going to rein these guys in, they can't be doing that, not my watch, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> so, um, it's probably, it was probably the first Bush ever heard of it. Yeah, well, exactly. <laughs> because, clueless as hell. So, a few days later, Putin says that the heads of Russia's uh, FSB, intelligence agency, received a letter from the CIA which said that they had the right to support opposition forces in Russia. So much for Bush. Bush, Bush was, you know, pumping himself up. I'm going to, I'm going to rein the CIA in. It's like, sorry, Bush. You know, you know very well. The last person who tried to do that was JFK, and look what happened to him. Yeah. Don't be talking. You know, the CIA are well above your pay pay grade. You know. Um. So that was the response. The response came directly from the CIA, saying, "Well, you know, we'll do what we want. Tough shit." And Putin said that someone over there, especially in the West intelligence services, obviously thought that if they act to destabilize their main geopolitical rival, which as we now understand in their eyes has always been Russia, it would be good for them. But as it turned out, it wasn't. Because Russia dealt with their Chechen, phony Chechen opposition problem. And Putin says he, he warned the West about the possible dangers of supporting terrorists. To which the West Western intelligence agency said, "Yeah, we know. That's why we do it. It's dangerous. <laughs> we know. Uh, we've got the receipts." Yeah, exactly. So um, there's just a few items that, that uh, we we spotted um, this week whilst we were busy doing lots of other things. Um, so I think at this point. Everybody's heard enough about scary things and dystopia and, you know, mice experiments and, you know, how horrible the world is and how, well, how what it might have been. 
one more horrible. I'll go on then. Well, I was thinking in the description of the mice experiment, the mice utopia, one of the last stages in the collapse was that they started to eat each other. Right. I thought, well, at least that won't happen. Oh, wait. Well, we're already at the <laughs> there have been cases of people doing that. Yeah, you know? at least symbolically, yeah. So, you know, yeah. Okay, I'm done now. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, as I was saying, well, you've had enough of the horribles uh, for this week, I think. Uh, not that they ever go away, but um, we won't shove them down your throat any any longer. <laughs> um, and I think it's time for a little bit of uh, light-hearted pop culture round-up-y-ness. From our old friend, Relic. Take it away, Here Well, greetings, everyone. It's your old friend, Relic, here. Bunkered down inside my little log cabin. Bigger than most studio apartments in Manhattan, I imagine. Coming to you from the thunder-snow-struck shores of Upper Lake Canada, where, on account of the bitterly cold winds outside, igloos are sometimes referred to as saunas of the north. And, as you may have guessed, I'm here today to... Fill you in on all the latest hanky-panky in the world of celluloid celebrity culture that has been filtering through the electronic supernet this week. So, let's begin with a segment that I'm calling Sequels, Prequels, Spin-Offs and Rip-Offs. I saw a new trailer for Season 2 of True Detective which looks quite good, I think, and seems to portray a mood as dark and compelling as its predecessor. It's all one ghetto, man. Giant gutter in outer space. Old Relic here was quite taken with the original series and remains hopeful that the creators will continue on with this evocative and well-written drama. Can you wonder ever you're a bad man? No, I don't wonder, Marty. world needs bad men. We keep the other bad men from the door. You know... The thing that struck me most about the original series, apart from the outstanding lead performances by actors Woody Harrison and Matthew McConaughey, is the intricate storyline that tells of rich, white, powerful religious leaders who, after years of doing horrible things to children, managed to get away with their crimes, letting a simple-minded lackey take all the blame. Nothing like that ever happens in Hollywood movies, where the bad guys always get caught and justice is eventually served. Just like in real life. Right. Of course I'm dangerous. I'm police. I can do terrible things to people. 
with impunity. Another spin-off series I've been watching lately. Better Call Saul. Yes, that's right. Better Call Saul just came to its first season conclusion this month. And though I've enjoyed witnessing the transformation of good-hearted con man and sometimes overly eager young lawyer Jimmy McGill into the shady and unethical, fast-talking Saul Goodman, I must say that this spin-off series is, well, it's not quite up to par with the original Breaking Bad, which, in my opinion, was, was just fantastic in, in every way. We'll keep an eye out for season two. Speaking of Breaking Bad, this reminds me of a knock-knock joke I heard recently. Knock, knock. I am the one who knocks. Hey, hold on there, young feller. I'm not sure you quite understand how this game is played. You see, first I say knock, knock, and you say who's there. Okay, ready? Knock, knock. I am the one who knocks. Whoa, slow down there, Heisenberg. You seem a little tense. I am the danger. Yikes. I think perhaps you may have been sampling a little too much of that blue crystal meth you've been cooking over in your trailer there. You're goddamn right. Now, Walt, could it be that maybe you're just a little angry because your classic Breaking Bad character has yet to make an appearance on the new spin-off series? Hmm, could that be it? You got me. Hmm, as I suspected. Maybe your best course would be to tread lightly. Okay. In other news, the much-beloved and excessively downloaded ultra-violent nude fest known as Game of Thrones has started its new Season 5 on HBO, which apparently is how Hodor spells his name. <laughs> Anyways, what I can't seem to reckon is what's all the fuss about this overly graphic, misogynistic fantasy series? For me, there's way too many characters with funny family names and I never seem to know who's who, and all the old men kind of look like me, and I find it ironic that a character named Jon Snow, who says winter is coming, and no one believes him. Oh, maybe it's all just too much for this old brain to comprehend. You know, compared to all the recent news reports of crime and violence happening in our world these days. It makes Game of Thrones look like a freaking Disney paradise. I know. Instead of Game of Thrones, I think they should call it the show where everybody eventually dies. And there's no point in getting attached to any of the characters because they're all going to die. And I wonder who's going to die this week. And on it goes. I've got a bulletin for Arthur George R. R. Martin. You know, sir, there was a young feller once named Shakespeare who wrote a play called Hamlet. And, 
where in the end, you guessed it, everybody dies. So here's a newsflash for you, George. It's already been done. Maybe it's time for you to find a new shtick. Like, uh, well, how about letting somebody live for once? That'll fix them. Fix them good. Well, seems we've come to the end of another edition of Pop Culture Roundup with your host, Relic, here. Roasting a wild boar on a slow turn and spit over a long coal fire, saying, Until next time, kids, always remember, keep your feet on the ground and your eyes on the stars. Okay, thank you very much, Relic. That was uh, fascinating. Uh, uh, Somewhat dystopian. I look into dystopian, this dystopian pop culture. Yeah. Well, what else are you going to get? You know, in the, in the dystopian planet like ours, dystopian society like ours, the, that's what the pop culture is going to be too, you know. It's going to reflect what's going on. Uh, at least some of it. As long as you don't watch Hollywood movies about the CIA. Saving then the world the, from Russia. Then you'll get the opposite. Yeah. So anyway, uh, we'll leave it there for this week, folks. Thanks to Stefan once again, and thanks to our listeners and to our chatters, and we will be back next week with another show. Uh, Tune in tomorrow for the Health and Wellness Show. Yes. And next Saturday for the Truth Perspective. Exactly. And we'll see you next Sunday. Okay. Bye-bye. Have a good one. <laughs>